0: Uh, We're not going to go too long this morning, and I'm hoping to kind of wrap this up about 5 past 11. We'll do some praying for people, and we'll have some uh, tea and coffee and uh, uh, cake and all sorts. It's there. Amen. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in our meeting. Such a privilege to have you, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, The Rose of Sharon, the Great I Am, the Almighty God in our midst right here. What a privilege, Lord. And we want to welcome you and say, God, have your way. Minister into our lives. Minister into the children this morning. We pray every single person would leave here today having been touched and having heard the living God. We pray that you would speak into our lives individually and corporately this morning. And we look forward for you to to minister into us, for you to be glorified, for us to sit under your word and receive revelation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things that uh, happens when we hear the word of God is that we can hear the same thing preached over and over again, and that's a good thing, because Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, to verse 1, he says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, Rejoice in the Lord. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things. He's saying, I'm telling you the same thing over and over and over again. And he says, I do it to safeguard your faith. And what happens is is that as Christians, we deviate from the truth. We're like a little boat that uh, can get one degree of course, or maybe two degrees, three degrees or whatever. And then every time we hear the word of God, it brings us back into alignment with where God wants us to be going. And so Paul says, I don't get tired of saying the same thing over and over again because it's for your safety. It's for the safety of your faith. And he says he actually enjoys doing it, and I do too. So this morning, my message today is entitled, The Greatest Plan of All. And you'll notice that in this church, we're not a religious church. We don't do Palm Sunday. We don't do uh, all sorts of other uh, Christian events during the year because religion is what's left behind when God's moved on. That's what religion is. and so. But today is Resurrection Sunday, and it is good to remind ourselves of these things, but we're not doing it out of religion. We're doing it out of life and out of thanks for God. Eh? And it just so happens that our series through the book of 1 Corinthians ties in with this message of the greatest plan of all. So we're going to have a look at that this morning. Those who say that the gospel is simple are both right and they're both wrong at the same time. Because the gospel is simple enough for an unbeliever to hear, understand and believe in and be saved. But it's also so profound that the most brilliant Theologians in the world cannot plumb the depths of the meaning of the gospel. There is a wisdom to the gospel that challenges the greatest intellectual minds. And yet it is so simple, even a child can receive the truth of it. And it is a wisdom that comes from journeying with Jesus. It's not something that the world can just understand through their intellectual mind. It's only through walking with Jesus, that we start to see the depths of the gospel. The gospel cannot be grasped by human effort, nor can it be measured by any human means. Okay, That's because the gospel is not man's idea. It's God's idea. And way back, before the planets and the stars were created, before there was anything... There was nothing but God. That's when the gospel was thought up and came into being. There the eternal father came up with a plan so amazing that he'd need to create a universe as a backdrop for this plan. He'd need to create myriads of angels as messengers. He'd need to create a a human race as a subject for this plan (laughs) And the centerpiece of this incredible plan would be his very own son, Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, you are holding in your hands God's record of the unfolding of his greatest plan of all. That's what this is. You are holding something far more valuable than just an ancient book. Some people study this thing just from a purely historical or archaeological point of view. But we have the greatest plan ever thought up. God's record of it is in here. This is an incredibly valuable book. It's a precious book. In Timothy, in Paul's letter to Timothy, it says, This book contains the very breath of God written down in text. All scripture is God breathed and written down. This is the breath of God in writing form. That's amazing. The breath of God written down. That's this book. So with that in mind, can you open to one Corinthians in chapter two, verse six to nine? <clears throat> Paul says, one Corinthians chapter two verse six. Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom. So Paul says, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom. So he isn't saying he just preaches a simple, uh, kind of toned down message all the time. When he's among mature believers, he preaches with wisdom. But it's not a wisdom that comes from man. And that's the thing. Paul knows his audience. We've got to know our audience. Sometimes we've got to speak a message that is incredibly simple. But other times we have an audience that is more mature and we need to preach appropriately. So he says, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world. Or the rulers of this world, who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom that we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory, before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. This is what the scriptures mean when they say... No eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And so this morning, if all we're doing is remembering a religious event, Jesus raised from the dead, we're missing the point. This this plan of God says, No eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God has planned for those who believe. This is something so wonderful, so great, we should be talking about it nonstop, every single day for the rest of our lives. It's that good news. This isn't just, oh, yeah, well, you know, the stone was rolled away, the angels were there. When they ran in, there was just some garments lying there. Jesus is risen from the dead. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is the greatest thing that could ever happen in our lives. And when something that great takes a hold of us, you can't keep quiet. You can't not share it with your friends. But we share everything else. Oh, how to become a millionaire. How to do this. How to lose weight. How to raise your children. I found this most amazing book. You should read it. But when it comes to the gospel, we don't think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened since sliced bread. (laughs) <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and peanut butter and bacon. Amen. Anyway, moving on. You know what when when you read a passage like this there's a sense that we've stumbled across a treasure chest that is so incredibly valuable it's worth stopping and opening. It's like a treasure chest. In fact, it's more than that. It's much more than that. It's like a land of treasures. Back in the Old Testament, God led his people into a promised land, and he's doing exactly the same with you and I today. But it's not a promised land. It's a land of promises. And it's a treasure chest of of all these promises. And as you journey with Jesus, you're like, wow, this is something else. That God is showing me. This is another promise. Wow, here's another promise. And you journey to another area of the land. Wow, there's something more in God. That's how our Christian walk should be. Not some old dusty chest lying in a corner. Oh yeah, I opened that thing 20 years ago. It's got some great stuff in it. Would you like to know Jesus as well? No. This is an incredible life. The most incredible life that we could ever live. It's a land so vast we'll never explore the ends of it. And so let's just talk about this greatest plan of all. Four points that I have. The first thing that Paul says about this plan is that it was formed before the world began. This this plan of God is eternal. It didn't just come into being like two thousand years ago with Paul. And the early church, oh, suddenly he has the gospel. He has something that God thought up. No, this happened before the world began. That means before there was sin, this plan was already in place. The gospel is not some reaction to sin. God's not running around in a panic. Oh, my word. The human race, they're falling away. This is my people. These are the guys that are supposed to be in the image of God. This is the people that I wanted to call for myself, and now it's ruined. What am I going to do? No. Way before anything was created, this plan was in place. It is eternal. Good, Very good. It is outside of time. And because of that, because this plan is eternal, it means the gospel is always relevant. Doesn't matter what culture. It doesn't matter what year we live in. It is always relevant. It was relevant back in the book of Acts when Paul wrote to the Corinthians. It was relevant then. It's relevant to us today, living in Melbourne, 2018. The same message is relevant. And there is a demonic strategy to say change it and make it relevant for the people you live in today. And... Paul says, if you change this message, you empty the cross of its power. That's what we covered a couple of weeks back, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You empty the cross of its power when you change the message. And why don't we change the message? It's eternal, it's, it's not dependent on time, it's not dependent on any race group because it was made before. There were any different kinds of races, any different kinds of languages. Before there was rich or poor, great or small, the gospel was there, waiting, perfect, ready for whoever. That's what Paul says about this plan. The second thing that Paul says is that he says, it's a mystery. What does that mean? Well, a mystery... Is something that was hidden, but now has been revealed. You solve a mystery, or you unfold a mystery. So it's something that in the past people didn't understand, but now the mystery of the gospel has been made known. And it's a mystery on multiple levels. Before the earth began, God planned to create a people for himself. A people he would call his own. And slowly that plan began to unravel and unfold. Mankind was made in the image of God. I mean, that's, this is it. There is man. They're made in the image of God. They can commun- communicate with God. And he says, rule over the earth. So there is a, there is a picture of mankind leading and reigning and ruling over creation, just like God rules over the universe. But in a smaller sense, man is reflecting that image of God. But then sin came into the human race, and it corrupted mankind. And even up to this day, the destructive power of sin twists and warps the fabric of our lives the fabric of humanity it's taken mankind away from serving god and doing the things that god has called us to do it's totally twisted and corrupted the world and you just you don't even have to watch the news for 10 minutes to see the effects of sin and society all over the world no nation is excluded rich people aren't excluded poor people aren't excluded People who can speak, who are literate and the illiterate. Every single person, you can see the effects of sin. There's a corruption that's taken place. It is the greatest tragedy the world has ever witnessed. We talk about wars. We talk about genocide. We talk about all sorts of tragedies in the world. Flooding and natural disasters. Thousands, even millions of people dying. The greatest tragedy that's ever hit. The history of mankind is the introduction of sin into the human race, by far, because it has affected billions. Every single person on the planet is affected by it. Do you see it like that? Or do you just think, ah, sin? Hardly even know what that word means. We don't even use it in our English language anymore. The Bible says no one seeks God. All have sinned. And have turned away from God. What a tragedy. The people made in the image of God. Turning away from God. Not seeking him. But in the midst of all this darkness. God begins to unfold this incredible plan. And he calls a man called Abraham. And he says that through you Abraham. I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. And from Abraham's descendants, he chooses this collection of slaves in Egypt, this group of people who are just slaves, and he, he, he rescues them from the hand of Pharaoh, and he makes them a nation, a people that God is going to call his own, and he gives them his law, he brings them through the Red Sea, he provides for them, he does incredible miracles, and He says, through you, I'm going to make you guys a blessing to all nations. But down the line, those people also reject their God. They turn to other false gods. They put idols in the temple, things made out of stone and wood, and they bow down. Even while Moses is up on the mountain receiving the commandments from God, they down at the bottom making a calf out of gold, a god from Egypt. And they're worshiping. And when Moses comes down, he says, what happened? Aaron says, I don't know. I just threw this gold in the fire and out jumped this calf like it's a miracle. He lied. He made the thing. <laughs> this is the people of God rejecting their God. Once again, it looks like this plan of God is doomed to failure. I mean, not only has sin entered mankind, God has called out a people for himself, and now they've rejected him. Not just once, but over and over and over and over again. Until it gets so bad that after warning them countless times, God says, right, you're going to be disciplined. The Babylonians and the Assyrians are coming. They're going to wipe you out. They're going to take you into exile. They're going to pull you out of the promised land. And that's what happens. And so it all looks terrible. Looks like this plan of God, this eternal plan has all gone pear-shaped. But then just at the right time, the father sends his son. His only son comes to earth. Born into this nation that has rejected God. And Jesus lives on the earth and he begins to preach. And what he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Whoa, what's going on here? There's a kingdom that's coming. This isn't just about some earthly thing. This isn't just about some, uh, restoring some people. There is a kingdom that is coming to earth. Another layer of this mystery is revealed. A heavenly kingdom coming to earth. And Jesus demonstrates the reality of this kingdom by doing what? Healing the sick. Raising the dead. Casting out demons. Cleansing lepers. Walking on water. Feeding thousands of people with hardly any food. Calming storms. All of that is evidence that, hey, there is something incredibly powerful that has come to earth. Way more powerful than science. Way more powerful than anything the earth can throw at him. He's above it all. He walks on the water. Forget gravity. Forget liquid. Forget the laws of liquid. He walks on that law and says, I am above every other law that exists on the human planet. He's demonstrated that there is a kingdom coming to earth. And then just as they start believing Jesus, they kill him. And it looks once again like this is the end of God's great plan. Can you imagine the disciples? Can you imagine them after the cross, bury Jesus? What are they going to do? They are like, we thought this guy was the king. We thought there was something about him. All these miracles and all that kind of thing. They've just started believing and now he's gone. Now what are we going to do? For three days, the devil and every demon in the kingdom of darkness celebrated the greatest victory of their lives. And I can imagine the taunts of the devil to God saying, you've got anyone else up there that you want to send? You've got another son you want to send? I can imagine what the devil said, saying, I've taken out your son. You got anybody better than that? Any angel that can do a better job than Jesus, I'll take him out too. He said, I can believe the devil would say, hey, you sent Adam, you created Adam. The first Adam, I took him out, corrupted the entire human race. Now you've sent your second Adam, sinless, and I've taken him out. Have you got a third Adam? See, it's a mystery that's unfolding. It's something that Jesus brought in, and we are now living in the fulfillment and the, uh, the greater revelation of that mystery. Even the early church didn't understand it at, at first. The early church thought it was just for the Jews. And so when Peter had this vision to go to Cornelius' house, he, he, didn't, he didn't get it. And he, he shared the gospel message with them, and the next thing, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they started speaking in tongues. And he was like, wow, God has brought salvation to the Gentiles. What's stopping these guys from getting baptized? They didn't understand it until then. So this mystery is unfolding on various levels. God wanted to bring Jew and Gentile alike in one body under the lordship of Jesus. And then the third third point is that the world doesn't understand this plan. Paul said that had the rulers of the world understood this plan, they would never have crucified Jesus. And I believe those rulers are both human and unseen, powers of darkness. The human leaders wouldn't have killed him if they'd actually known he was God. I mean, out of respect for God. You don't just go and kill God. But they thought he was blaspheming, so they were like, crucify him. But the demonic powers would never have killed him had they known what would have happened. Had they known he'd be raised on the third day, seated at the right hand of of the Father, glorified in every way, given the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. They would never have done that if they'd known that would be the outworking of the plan. And why didn't they know it? Because this plan of God only comes through revelation. It cannot be understood by a human mind. You can't sit down and weigh up all the figures and then make your decision. Well, I've done the whole test. It looks like the gospel is right. So I'll choose it. You can't do that. It only comes by revelation. Mark chapter 4 verse 10 and 12. Mark chapter 4, verse 10 and 12. It says, Later, when Jesus was alone with the twelve disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. See, Jesus spoke in parables. The disciples come to him afterwards and say, what does these things mean? And he says, you guys are permitted to understand, so I'm going to explain it to you. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Now you might think, well, why why didn't God want them to understand? Surely he wants it. But at that time, the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out. He's the one that leads into all truth. So here are the disciples of Jesus. They're not filled with the Spirit, so they can't understand. So Jesus has to pull them aside and explain to them what this parable means. But there is coming a time where Jesus says, Look, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And then He will lead you into all truth. Then he will give revelation. Right now I've got to explain these parables and only you guys are going to get explained to. The rest of the guys are going to wander, walk away wondering. What did he mean by the farmer sowing the seed? What did he mean by the mustard seed and the tree? What did he mean by the fisherman with a net and all these kind of things? All jumbling around in their heads. But when the day of Pentecost comes... And those same people are filled with the Spirit, are saved and filled with the Spirit. Suddenly, all those parables would have gone, oh, now we understand what it means. Because the Holy Spirit gives revelation. He shines a light on the truth. And it's the same thing that happens when we preach the gospel to people. We preach the gospel, but we're in God that he's going to reveal it to them. Because if he doesn't, they cannot be saved. That takes the pressure off of us. It does. No one gets saved without revelation from God. No one's going to get to heaven and say, Hey God, I figured it out. I'm here. (laughs) I figured out the formula, the the secret to what you are. I know what you are up to, God. No one's going to say that. (laughs) We're all going to say we were all in darkness. We were blind, but the Holy Spirit made me see. I was helpless, but God broke in and revealed the truth to me. Anyway, let's move on quickly. The last point is that the gospel is the most wonderful message we will ever hear. Period. Ever. You will never, ever hear something better than the gospel. And if, the, if, you, if you think right now, well, I don't know about that, then you haven't understood the gospel, You need to go home and you need to pray and say, God, help me. Help me to understand this message. Because actually, I think there are other things that are better. I'd rather go and watch my TV program that I'm hankering after than actually read about your gospel, let alone tell someone else about the gospel. (laughs) The message is not wonderful because it's a great story. It's not like, oh, there's the nativity, it's so cute. The camels and the donkey and Jesus rode on the donkey and, you know, the little drummer boy. <laughs> it's not in the Bible, by the way, or, or the three wise men, that's not in the Bible either. Anyway, we like to have the little nativity scene, it's a cute story. But the gospel is the most wonderful message we will ever hear and ever be able to tell someone else. Because it says, no eye has seen, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. The Christian life is the most wonderful thing that anybody can experience. It is. We're living the dream. There isn't a better dream than this. This is the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Five people here think it's the greatest thing. The rest of us are still getting revelation. The Bible says that every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Not just a handful, not just, hey, you get five, you get everything. No, every spiritual blessing is available in Christ. Not outside of Christ, in relationship with Christ. We've received great and precious promises from the Lord. Our sins are forgiven, washed away. God fills us with his Holy Spirit and empowers us to live supernatural lives. Not natural lives, supernatural. We seem to have a fascination with superhero movies at the moment. Every second movie is about some superhero. Guys, we are the church. We are living supernatural lives. Don't. Marvel at Marvel movies. (laughs) Marvel at what God is doing in your life. Because you are living a supernatural life. We're living lives that money can't buy. What we have now goes way beyond the boundary of death goes into eternity forever and ever. can't buy that. We'll be the people of God for all eternity, living with God and having God live in us. I mean, that's amazing. What intimacy, what closeness of relationship. I hope this morning that there is a sense of value and preciousness to your walk with God. When you value something and it's precious to you, you put it in a safe. Yeah. You don't just leave it lying around on the couch. Oh, there's my most prized possession, my Rolex worth $50,000. I just leave it lying on the counter. Anyone can walk in. Oh, that's a nice watch. Put it on. Thank you. I'm out of No, when it's precious, you safeguard it. I safeguard this word. I do. I live my life in a way that protects the word of God, the truth that I've heard. I'm not just going to allow it just to fall on the ground and lose it. I'm going to live as if it's precious and valuable to me. I want to safeguard it. I want to live my life in a way that I keep close to the Lord Jesus. I don't want to lose sight of him. I don't want to be like, oh, I'm busy doing my thing. And Jesus is wandering around over there. It's okay, I can just see him. I've just got a few things I need to do here. And oh, where's he gone? I don't want to do that. I want to stay in step with the Lord all the time. If I mess up, I repent. Lord Jesus, I'm coming back to you. I want to walk close with you. When you sin, run to him. Uh, That is something that has stuck in my mind since I was a little tacker in Christ. When you sin, run to Him. Our carnal nature wants to run from Him, like Adam in the Garden of Eden. Guard it, cherish it. This is the greatest message we will ever hear. And it's because God has literally moved heaven and earth for us, He has. Ephesians, I'll end with this verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 14. Not one verse, 10 verses. (laughs) This is not a last minute idea that God had. Even before he made the world, God loved us. Just, Just think about these words and personalize them for you. Even before God made the world, he loved you. that gives a whole different perspective on the creation of the universe. God didn't make it because it just thought, hey, I'm bored. Let me, let me be creative. He was in love with you, so He made the universe. That puts a different spin on everything we have around us. And He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. That word holy Has a root meaning of to cut and separate. Like when you got a carrot. Okay, let me just give you some cooking skills here. You got your carrot, right? You cut it with a knife and you separate. That's holy. Separated from the rest. That's the life God has called us to live. To be holy and without fault in His eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family. Gee, that's good news. By bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. That's what He wanted to do. That's what the Scripture says. This is what He wanted to do. Not like, oh, what am I going to do with these guys? I've got to do something. I can't just leave them like struggling in sin. So I'll do something about it. He wanted to do it. (laughs) and it gave him great pleasure. Praise God. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. That's why this is a kingdom coming. It's a king. And when a king comes, he rules. That's what it's all about. Not just Jesus, my Savior, praise God, save me, now I can do what I want. No, Jesus, my Lord and Savior. He saves me so I can come under His rulership and lordship. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee. How do I know? What guarantee have I got for my salvation? The infilling of the Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. Amazing, eh? This is a day that we remember all of this was made possible because of Jesus. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. So that all this wonderful plan of God can be made possible in our lives. Praise God. Let's stand. We're going to pray. I want to just pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A fresh revelation of this wonderful plan.